0: Hello, this is Dr. Ned Halliwell, and welcome to Dr. Halliwell's wonderful World of Different. Today, we are traveling across the globe, around the globe, down under to the land of Oz called Australia. And we are lucky enough to have with us Vivian Dunstan, who is sort of the leading uh, rabble-rouser, organizer, cheerleader, educator... On that continent of Australia, uh, that is it called a continent or a country? In any case, that large landmass called Australia. And uh, uh, she founded uh, an organization called ADHD Support Australia in 2013 because her daughter had ADHD only to come to find out last year that she herself has ADHD at the age of 54. She volunteers her age, and um, it's a treat to have her. She invited me to talk on her uh, channel uh, some months ago, and, uh, and I enjoyed her company so much. I said, please come talk on, on my little group of, of listeners. So uh, without further ado, let me introduce my new friend and colleague, from Australia, Vivian Dunstan.
1: Thank you. Hi, Ned, and lovely to see you again. It was lovely to have you on my monthly talks. We had you twice this year, actually, but thanks for giving me the opportunity to come on and talk to you today.
0: Well, thank you so much. You know, I think it might be, you know, since this is a show about difference and you have the difference called ADHD, could you just tell us, uh, here you are discovering, uh, not late in life, but later than a child in your 50s, that you have this difference. Can you tell us that story?
1: Yeah. So I guess when I was a child or, you know, up until I got my own daughter diagnosed, you know, sort of 10 years or so ago now, I didn't really ever think that I had ADHD. I didn't think my child had ADHD. There was things happening with her and i pulled her out of school and did homeschool for a while and, you know, had lots of tests and things going on. She didn't get diagnosed till she was 14. So like a lot of other parents, you know, once I started thinking of the symptoms and of course, you know, I've immersed myself in the world of ADHD and learning about ADHD through doing what I do. So procrastinating as well, I'd been meaning for a long time to get the diagnosis done just, you know, for my own peace of mind and and to sort of know and have reasons for what I feel that I'm like. So I guess back in life, there's, you know, I've always had this time blindness. (laughs) That's one of my main issues. And I think, you know, that's what Dr. Russell Barclay says, who was also one of my speakers this year too, that, you know, time blindness is ADHD. And um, it's something that I think people that don't know what it is, it's difficult to describe really, but I'd, I'd Sort of define it as, you know, never having enough time because the time that I do have just sort of runs through my fingers before I know it, it's gone. I would also describe myself uh, by a word that I've sort of found and quite like as a tid optimist. I don't know if you've heard that word, but it's a, a time optimist. So it's you always think you've got more time than you have. So, you know, it's a bit like one more it I'll just do this and I'll just do that. And then I'll do what I'm supposed to be doing. And yeah, it's quite a stressful way to live your life because you're always late, you know, whether that's for something you want to do, like go for a massage or something, you know, nice that you don't want to miss out on, or whether it's, you know, coming into the next room for a Zoom call where there's not really any excuse for being late, but it just so happens that I usually like, you know, if I've got an appointment at two o'clock, I might have two o'clock in my head and then I'll leave at two o'clock rather than being there at two o'clock. So I find that difficult. And I guess, you know, I never thought that I had ADHD because I suppose before I've always done okay at school. You know, I've got a first class honors degree. I've got a masters of teaching. No, so academically I was able to succeed as you did clearly with all your qualifications, but it was hard work getting there and I just sort of feel like I put things off, you know, put those difficult things off. And and somebody else that I've spoken to this year, uh, Dr. Sharon Celine, she calls it productive procrastination. I don't know if you've heard that term as she used it or whether it's a term everyone uses, I'm not sure. I sort of re- resonated with that term because I was like, yeah, like I'm always busy and there's always many other things that you can do apart from the big thing that you're really supposed to be doing. And so you put off that big thing until everything's deadline driven and I suppose I've come to realize that I need to do that so for example my husband said to me we need to get that flooring changed in the study you're going to need to sort out the study and I sort of came to the realization that it was never going to happen unless I said you book the floor man and then I'll clean the study because if the floor man's coming tomorrow I will clear that study up but if it's just like clear that study up sometime. It's just like, it's never going to happen. So I've realized that things have to be sort of driven by a a deadline. So, you know, that's something I I struggle with.
0: If I can just interject, you were precisely on time for our interview today. So (laughs) you've obviously made progress with your time blindness.
1: Well, I was maybe a couple of minutes late, but um, I guess I am, you know, I haven't got out of my house. But if I admit it, I've known that we've been doing this interview for quite a few months now, and I could have prepared and had to think about, you know, what I might want to say or some of the things, but did I? No. (laughs) Was I up at 2am thinking about it? Yes. Was it then hard to get up this morning for the 8.30 call? Yes. (laughs) So, you know, I think that's the thing about me as well, that a lot of people sort of might question the diagnosis because I, I think I sort of come across as looking calm, relaxed, organized, productive, I seem to get a lot done and, and do a lot.
0: Very much so. You you come across as <laughs> extremely competent and skilled.
1: But I don't know, I, I guess in your work you'll know that behind that sort of facade there is like, you know, I often sort of liken it to sort of perhaps being a swan sort of gliding along on the surface but paddling madly underneath trying to stay afloat and nobody sees that part of it. Yes. So I think it comes at a cost. It's quite stressful living life that way because, you know, you actually, every time it happens, you're kind of filled with a bit of self-loathing. Like, why have I done this again? why is this happening again? I've known about this for months, you know, and it could be, you know, you're giving a presentation or it's giving in a piece of homework or whatever it is. And, you know, I've done lots of homework assignments in the past. They're always hitting that button at 11.59 PM for it to get in on that day. And coupling that along with sort of perfectionism as well, and wanting to do everything really well. And I don't know, you're the psychiatrist, but maybe perfectionism is a kind of lack of self-esteem in some way because you want to make sure everything's really good and perfect because you're not really sure of yourself. So you're scared to put yourself out there if it's not going to be perfect. you know. And having that and trying to do everything in the last minute, it's a stressful way to live your life.
0: How has getting the diagnosis changed your life?
1: I wouldn't say it's changed my life. I suppose it's made me sort of have a few answers, maybe be a bit kinder to myself, so hard on myself. It's better to be able to sort of tell myself, well, you know, this isn't really your fault. This keeps happening. And it's a bit of an answer, I suppose, in hindsight to why this is always happening. But, you know, I... There are good things about it as well. So don't just want to moan about all the difficulties that come with it. Name
0: some of the good things.
1: Okay, so I feel like for me, there's the many ideas, you know, the thinking slightly differently to other people, but always having a head full of ideas and sort of passion and drive to want to do things. But also on the flip side of that is the having too many things to do and not prioritising And then you sort of got one thing that you've been working on, but you have another idea and you want to start investigating that as well at the same time, which then distracts you from what you were doing. So you've got all of these ideas. So, I mean, it's a positive to have all those ideas and the drive and motivation to do them. There's that hyper focus aspect as well, where, you know, I want to leave no stone unturned. If I'm, you know, if a a topic piques my interest, I will Go into it and research it to death and I want to know everything about it I can then maybe be a little bit of a bore <laughs> to people as I'm so fascinated and intrigued by a topic and you know getting right into the weeds of it all that I'll tell anyone that wants to listen about it and talk about it sometimes my family will tell me mum you know shut up now <laughs> we've had enough of talking about that other friends might not be so direct and so you know I have to sort of think One, am I talking too much, which is another thing I do? And am I going on too much about one particular topic? So Mm -hmm. I said I was going to talk about the good things. So the good things being the ideas, because we know that a lot of entrepreneurs and inventors and people like that. In fact, I read a study the other day that said that people with ADHD are more than twice as likely to be an entrepreneur because they, you know... A bit more impulsive, a bit more creative, have these ideas and so on. Plus they like working for themselves because they don't have a boss breathing down their back and they can right. kind of you know march to the beat of their own drum, I guess.
0: You also mentioned your family. so you've been married for quite a while and you have children.
1: Yes, so I've been married a long time. We had our 31st wedding anniversary this year, so ages. Um, I've got two children, 27 and 24, and it's my 24-year-old that um, has the ADHD diagnosis as well. So she's had a few other comorbid issues. You know, she's got some learning difficulties, sort of dyslexia-type things. She has anxiety, and she's also had a lot of health issues as well. She's had chronic fatigue syndrome. She's got celiac disease, so she's had a lot of food intolerances and that type of thing. So with all of that and gut problems as well. So with all of that, we've gone a very holistic path with all of her health issues. And so really, that sort of all fed into my knowledge on ADHD. So the talks that I like to give, and I have a variety of speakers coming on about all topics. And we've had people talking about gut health. And talking about epigenetics and, you know, all sorts of areas, which I don't think really normally get a lot of airtime. So, you know, I'm quite proud to sort of bring that in as well, because I find, you know, and I've got a a Facebook group, it's got uh, over 14,000 people in there. And there's a lot of questions. And I guess the top question is often about medication. So we've had talks on that. But a lot of people are also asking, you know, for alternative things. what can I do if I'm not sure if my child's bad enough to have medication, or do I want to try something else first, or are there things I can do in tandem with the medication? So, you know, I don't think there's a lot of information out there. As, as For sure, as far as, you know, you go along to a doctor and you get your diagnosis, they don't really go down that track very much.
0: Just to repeat, the name of your organization is ADHD Support Support Australia, and if you Google that, you can come to Vivian's website, which has uh, all the talks and information she was just talking about. For listeners, you used a a word that I I think some of our listeners may not be familiar with, uh, namely epigenetics. You want to tell us what that means?
1: So we all know about genetics and a lot of people sort of say, you know, is ADHD genetic? It's obviously something that's highly hereditable. But epigenetics is sort of above genetics, and it's the way that genes can express themselves. So just because you have a gene, it doesn't mean that that gene is necessarily going to express and either do something good or bad. And now that we know more about the genome in, you know, and we're still learning, obviously there's so much still to learn about it. It's quite a new field. People are looking at genes that, you know, see how fast you process dopamine, the brain and and those types of things and a lot of people talk about the mthfr gene and some people have a polymorphism on that and my daughter's got two copies of that which means that you detox things differently and you process your b vitamins differently so i guess you know that a lot of those things can also sort of have an impact on mood and all the stuff that's going on in your brain Mm. so you know, that's really interesting as well.
0: You are one of my favorite kind of people because you're in the trenches. You're working with real people who have real struggles every day. But What would you say are your favorite uh, all-time bits of advice, tips, uh, suggestions for adults who have ADD for parents of children who have ADD I still call it ADD because that's what it was called when I learned about it. Uh,
1: <laughs> well I thought you'd like to call it vast I thought that well was your, I do in acronym. my book I
0: rename it vast but uh, you know so uh, I do prefer to call it that because I don't see it as a disorder I see it as a trait and it's definitely not a deficit of attention we have an abundance of attention But in any case, what is your Hall of Fame list of suggestions, tips?
1: uh... Well, I do have an online parenting course. I used to do it in person, but now I have it online as well, so I can help more people. But yeah, I mean, I definitely always go for the foundations and the basics. I feel like, one, as a parent, you want to look after yourself, have great self-care because you can't be the best parent you can be if you're too tired or not eating well not exercising not having time for yourself so that's very important you know you're going to be flying off the handle and getting irritated and not being resilient in challenging situations if if that's the case so self-care is a really big part for parents and then you know as what I'm trying to do with everything is educate people about what ADHD is and Thinking about it from a different point of view, understanding how your child is actually feeling, why they're acting the way they do. I mean, last month, my talk was on the collaborative and proactive solutions approach, which is the Dr. Ross Green approach, which is talking about really chatting with your child, finding out what's going on with them. Why is a particular behavior happening rather than, you know, going down the whole rewards and consequences path path? You know, there's a time and a place for that for everybody. Like
0: I've got to interrupt you again, Vivian, because not everyone will pick up on what you just said. You referred to Ross Green and uh, his collaborative problem solving method, which is a, a terrific way of breaking the, the big struggle that occurs in families. So you had a talk about that.
1: We had a talk on that, yes. A couple of years ago, I went to his training when he was able to come to Sydney. And I'd been, I knew about it before as well. He's got a couple of books. The Explosive Child is one that a lot of people might have heard of. Though so I think it's a really good method. I'm happy yeah. that quite a lot of teachers come to my talks as well. well. Obviously, I think it's really important. He's got another book called Lost at School as well. And it's, really as it says collaborating with the child finding out why those problems are happening and you know he his mantra is kids do well if they can and you know i agree no kid wants to be messing up all the time or getting into trouble so we've got to change that sort of focus of the lens to, you know, why is this problem happening? And is it because the child is unable to meet an expectation? So that's kind of it in a nutshell. So that's very important, but I'm also very, you know, because I'm quite holistic as well, I think that getting the foundations of health and, and all of those things are very important as well.
0: By the foundations, you mean sleep, nutrition? Sleep, exercise. nutrition,
1: exercise you know, like I said, I like to research things and have no stone unturned. So why would I then just say, well, you've got a diagnosis with this and you've got these symptoms, but I'm not going to try and address every aspect of that. And like I say, that's why I like to have an eclectic mix of people that come in and, and give all these different sort of, you know, it's like a jigsaw putting all the pieces together.
0: In what role do you see medication playing?
1: medication plays a big role i'm not personally taking it and my daughter's tried it in the past and it didn't seem to really work that well for her but i think at the time she had a lot of other issues gut issues and that type of thing so i can see from my group how many people are saying that it's a life changer and that it's working but i don't think you should always just be going well i'll just take a pill and i'm going to be all good you've got to be working on strategies Because obviously, if you ever stop taking it, it's gone. So you need to, you know, maybe you need to take a medication in order to be able to take on board strategies and to learn strategies. And it's different for everybody. Again, I see other people having side effects and not being able to manage taking it and so on. So, you know, it plays its role. But I like to sort of see, you know, everything else as a, you know, a holistic whole. As you say, the sleep, the exercise, the nutrition, the strategies, the solutions.
0: Are you basically optimistic when someone gets this diagnosis? Have you seen lives really improve?
1: I think so, because it's not about having ADHD, but when you get a diagnosis, then you know what you're dealing with and you're able to, you know, put those strategies and things that you need to do into place. And I guess if you want to get medication, you need that label. But apart from that, I don't sort of see why you really need to be labeled. Or well, As you say, you don't really like the term ADHD. It's sort of got that deficit and disorder in it. So I sort of see it more as you're working with different symptoms that you want to improve on and, you know, using the, all of these different strategies, you can do that. So once you know what you're dealing with, you're able to move forward and, and use those strategies. I, I am hopeful, I, I think, um, on having a diagnosis. But I think even if you don't have a diagnosis and even if you don't want to get a diagnosis for either yourself or your child, If you think you've got symptoms that are similar to ADHD, you can still do the same. Well, not take medication if you don't have a diagnosis, but you can still do the things that could help you if you did.
0: Well, this has been wonderful, Vivian. Vivian Dunstan, who founded and directs and oversees ADHD Support Australia, a wonderful organization in a wonderful country. And um, if you want to learn more of, from the talks she's given, or if you want to take her parenting course, just go to her website, ADHD support Australia. She's a, a true master in the field and a, a wonderful example of, of someone who uh, Got diagnosed later on and and made the best <laughs> use of it. Well, there's it. just
1: one other thing I wanted to say, yeah. Ned, that I'm also doing that I'm really excited about as well, which is the <laughs> Peers Social Skills course. And I know so many people with ADHD do struggle with social skills and that can be really detrimental um, to mental health as well sort of the making and keeping of friends and and social relationships I've got a dating skills course coming up and I've got a a young adults program and a teens program you know I'm loving that work because I've sort of seen with my own daughter firsthand what it's like and you know working with these young people it's so rewarding to sort of see them progressing and getting more confidence with their social skills so yeah so that's just another thing
0: you don't have to be australian to take the course
1: no no you don't and um well as you can tell by my accent i'm from england but i have had people from dubai india singapore united arab emirates all states in australia And actually, also, my sister in the UK is going to be starting up a peers course. So people in the UK, she's going to be doing that. That's all on my website as well. So, yeah, I'm really excited about That
0: that dating skills course sounds wonderful. I haven't heard of someone offering that. That's really important.
1: Well, there's a dating section in the Young Adults program program and a lot of my sort of older teens were sort of saying oh I'd really like to just do the dating because they've already done the teens program so I've pulled that out and sort of coupled it with just the, the basics and a sort of refresher course on general social skills and conversation so this is a 6 week course the other courses are 16 weeks so that is the peers course it's actually a course that was created by dr elizabeth lagerson from ucla and it's one of the only evidence based social skills courses out there so you know when i heard about it it was immediately something that i wanted to do had so many parents in the past asking about social skills how can i help my child with social skills Well, to learn
0: more about all of these, just go to ADHD Support Australia. That's ADHD Support Australia. And uh, Vivian Dunstan, who's done such great work. If you want to send uh, suggestions regarding this podcast, Dr. Hallowell's Wonderful World of Different, please just send an email to different at HallowellCenter.org. That's the word different at HallowellCenter.org. We are trying to build a community here. We need to hear from you. We want to deliver to you fascinating, interesting people talking about difference like Vivian Dunstan. Uh, You are a real pro and a tremendously impressive person. I can't thank you enough for joining us.
1: Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been fun. Yes. (laughs) nice to see you again and connect.
0: Yes, absolutely. Virtually. Yes. Yes. Take care then.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Ned.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please share this episode with your friends and you can tag me at Dr. Hallowell. That's DR no period, Hallowell, at Dr. Hallowell, if you happen to share on social media. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll be talking with Tracy Atsuka, host of ADHD for smart-ass women. She is really a kick and a really wonderful, brilliant woman and an all round superstar. We'll be talking about the fantastic work she does to help women with ADHD identify and build on their strengths. And every week I will answer one question from a listener. Please send your questions to different at hallowellcenter.org. That's different at HallowellCenter.org so that each week we can pick one of those questions that I will answer on the air. This week's question, since we didn't have listener questions, is from a follower on Instagram who asks, how do you help an eight-year-old remember things when they keep forgetting? Well, (laughs) it's a common issue. One way to imagine memory is think of your memory bank as a board and think of a piece of information as a nail. Well, attention is the hammer. And if attention wanders a lot, many of those nails aren't gonna get hammered in. How do you help someone remember? Well, you do external reminders, lists, post-its, notes, anything that you can put up outside the brain to help the brain keep track of what it's having trouble keeping track of inside the brain. So the use of external systems is really imperative. What doesn't work is yelling at him to remember things. That just makes him afraid and fear reduces your capacity to recall. So try to understand, you know, memory is is stronger in some people and less strong in others. It's not a moral concept. It's a neurological one. And uh, with the right help and the external assistance, people of any age can remember. By the way, the same principle uh, apply when, when you get old, very old, and start losing your memory. The same principles apply of posting reminders and lists around the room, so that your elder relative or friend can keep track of things. Okay, this is Dr. Ned Hallowell for The Wonderful World of Different, wishing you all well, and hoping you'll tell your friends about my new podcast. Bye for now.